said, why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. all around lord i need your light i know you're calling feel you're drawing me to you i'll join with you lord in everything i do far too long i've given my god to myself with the shield of faith he gave me up on the shelf but now i want to live for christ i want to do what's right gonna join his army rise up and find gonna rise up Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week, as this week we're going to be discussing the meaning of life and the value of redemptive suffering and penance. Is it Lent? Well, no, not yet, but it's coming, and I'll get more into that in a moment. The intro song was Rise Up by Chris Paget, and as always, you can find a link to his site, and my site, along with the show notes, links, and homework assignments that you'll find for every episode at www.catholichack.com. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, as we come to sit at your feet, to soak in your word, to learn. We pray that you will send forth your Holy Spirit to guide us on this journey, to teach us your, your ways and your wisdom. We pray for our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to lead your people out of the wilderness, out of the slavery of sin and despair, through the waters of baptism into the promised land, to be joined in the kingdom of God, with God forever, for all eternity. We pray for the conversion of sinners, for the unity of faithful, for seeking the lost and bringing them home, for the repentance of our sins, and for a conversion of my selfish heart. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit 
to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this week, I was planning to do a uh, a show on the, the Exodus typology found in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. We see in the Lord's Prayer how Moses comes alive in the wilderness with the people, and how that that prayer is is very uh, typological. It's very eschatological, and it's just got deeper meaning that we probably haven't dived on, or, or dwelt upon, or studied, or meditated on very often. But instead, I felt sort of motivated. I watched a movie last night called The Genius Club. I, f- I watched it on the TBN network, which is a Protestant network, and they often have some very good programming on there. and And so I watched this movie, and we're going to be getting into that today on on the show. It was uh, uh, about seven geniuses with all with IQs over 200 and they were they were taken from their daily lives and and told that they had to participate in a very special game and the lives of some 500,000 people were on the line if they didn't play the game and if they they didn't win the game then these lives and many more could be lost. So it was an interesting perspective. And the game was to solve the world's problems by a certain time. So the pressure was on. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that I and get too far ahead of myself, I wanted to mention that I have a couple of speaking engagements already lined up for this year. And if you're anywhere near uh, the area, I would love for you to stop by and say hello. Coming up on uh, February 18th, I believe, I'll be speaking at the John Paul II Film Festival in Miami. On the Wednesday of that week, I'll be giving a, a talk on uh, shame and continence from John Paul II's Love and Responsibility it's, uh, at the opening prayer service for the film festival. And the very next night, the Thursday night, I'll be a, a commentator on the very first movie, which is a documentary of, a, of an actress who's left the pornography industry, the adult film industry, and she talks about how it destroyed her life and how it's destroying the lives of men and women and uh, the uh, just the utter uh, evil of the abortion and the pornography industry. I'm not sure abortion's covered there, but a pornography is for sure. So I would highly encourage you to stop by my website for a link to the film festival so you can get more information on that. And it, there's a good uh, distinct possibility that uh, for the Feast of St. Joseph in March, I'll be brought out to Phoenix, Arizona to give a talk about pornography and abortion uh, just before a showing of the movie Blood Money, which details the inner workings of Planned Parenthood. And that ought to be a, a good night because uh, I obviously have an experience in both abortion and pornography, and I find it a great grace and a blessing that God has allowed me to be used in his great mercies to uh, to sort of help people find conversion, find healing even, and to, uh, to restore their lives uh, through the destruction of both abortion and pornography. Love to work in those two fields, and so God is opening doors and, and uh, allowing me to do just that. And then in September, it looks like I'm going to be giving a men's retreat in Casper, Wyoming, or somewhere near there anyway, for the Shalom Men's Retreat. And so I hope to uh, post some more information on that retreat in the coming weeks as I gain more information, and I'll post a link and uh, let you know about that. It's going to be a great time. They're going to let me talk about one of my favorite subjects, 
typology and apologetics. It's one of the main topics of this particular program here on Behold the Man. So uh, I'll have five opportunities to dive really deep and uh, and pull out some of those juicy nuggets of salvation history, showing the the prototypes to Christ's church and the sacraments and the priesthood and, and all of it. So uh, look for more information on that at catholichack.com. I would also highly encourage you, if you if you feel that this, this show is a benefit to you in any way, that you will subscribe to the show through my feed at catholichack.com, that you will rate and review the show on iTunes. It's one of the best ways that you can actually help me spread the news about the work. Uh, a lot of people will find this particular feed through its iTunes feed. So you subscribing and you rating and reviewing it really goes a long way to helping me go higher up in the uh, iTunes categories, which allow people who are just sort of out there looking for Christian podcasts or material to find my show, Behold the Man and the Catholic Hack Resources. So greatly appreciate you helping pass the word out and uh, sharing the show with with your friends and loved ones as you see a benefit to the show. I greatly appreciate that. Now, back to the topic at hand, the meaning of life and the power of redemptive and penance or redemptive suffering and penance. As I was saying, I was watching this movie, The Genius Club, which was uh, a movie that was directed by Timothy Che back in 2006. It, it starred Tom Sizemore, Stephen Baldwin, and Carol Abney, among others. Tom Sizemore is a pretty well-known actor. He's been in countless films and and other uh, productions. Uh, one of my favorites of him was in uh, A Black Hawk Down. He's, he played this colonel who never carried a weapon and walked around as if nobody was shooting at him. <laughs> and uh, it was a very uh, interesting and colorful character. And so I remember him from that as well as many other uh, movies. And so I was very surprised to see him in this film. This film didn't have a big budget. So they were trying to do a lot with a little. And there was a lot that I liked about the film, but yet there was still some stuff that I felt like, ugh, I wish I, wish I could have made this movie, you know? that's. Do you ever feel that way? You ever see a movie and go, oh, I wish I could have made this film. I, I would have done this or I would have done that. That's how I felt watching this, this movie. And uh, I'll give you the, the brief uh, synopsis that is, as I found it on the, uh, the IDB website. It says, quote, a lunatic madman has placed a nuclear bomb 10 blocks from the White House. He enlists the President of the United States and a group of geniuses to try to solve the world's problems in one night. If they fail, the world will come to an end. The group attempts to solve world hunger, war, cancer, terrorism, rush hour traffic, rush hour traffic, jerks, and finally the meaning of life. By morning, the group finds redemption in themselves and quite possibly in the world. It was written by Edward, uh, and Edward, I can't pronounce your last name, Bajan, I think is what it says, but I, I'm not certain of that. I'll, I'll link to the uh, description on my website at catholichack.com. Now, here's the deal. The movie is a setup, okay? This was a perfect setup. It brings the most, it brings up most of, but not all, the evils of the world and the problems of mankind, but in my opinion, it didn't do justice to the answers to them. It didn't want to uh, really get to the bottom of it all. It sort of seemed, uh, it, for the most part, for the majority of the movie, as a, a propaganda piece, you know? It, it really seemed like it was being utilized to talk about the evils of capitalism and greed of humankind. Now, that might be true, because mankind is truly greedy and selfish. Let me give you Exhibit A. Myself. 
I am as greedy as they come. I can't help it sometimes. My concupiscence, my disordered uh, nature, I'm geared to sin thanks to original sin. And my own selfishness overwhelms me at times. And if I, who at least attempt to live the sacramental life, am willing to admit that I am a selfish person, how much more those who put no effort to living the sacramental life? So to me, it's obvious that greed of man, of selfishness, is at the core of many of our problems. It's our sin, because we've turned away from God, that we have sinned and we live these selfish lives about me, myself, and I, that it becomes pretty obvious that we can, you know, uh, use capitalism or even socialism or communism or any number of isms to take advantage of the world's resources, to take advantage of people itself. But in this movie, it seems capitalism became the bandit, the evil one, the one that they picked on most. They brought up how oil companies and media companies were running things here in the United States, and they were sort of taking over and calling the shots, you know, driving up prices and record profits, and and it was all sort of uh, painted in this one stroke of, of evilness. That governments were avoiding taking real action towards helping people, whether it's curing cancer, putting money behind the finding the cure of cancer, because if we found a cure of cancer, then we'd put all these people in the medical industry out of business, right? Or if we had the perfect electric car, we would put the oil companies out of business. So there must be some hidden conspiracy, some hidden motivation as to why the government isn't really doing more to help people. World hunger, they brought up. They said, you know, uh, what can we do about world hunger? Well, world hunger is a cause of overpopulation, and we should just neuter everybody. They didn't want to use abortion in the same sentence, but abortion did come up uh, a few sentences later in the movie. So, But the reality was they didn't really try to solve the problem. They didn't really answer the problem. And, and overpopulation is a myth. It's not true. Uh, don't put your money on that. That's not going to work out for you. I remember being in college and reading articles in a particular literature class that really uh, foretold a day in the future where... In order to solve the world's overpopulation problems, they would have the government would have to choose by lottery mass numbers of folks to execute. And they had new and creative ways to put people out of their misery in order to curb overpopulation. Does that mean there aren't cities in the in the world that are overpopulated that are so dense that it's amazing how many people live in a square mile? Well, of course not. There are Mexico City is a good example of that. Way way overpacked. It's true. There are thousands upon thousands of people living on a trash dump in Mexico City right now. Let alone Haiti or places in India. I mean, you name it. There are many troubled areas. So, but the but the the bottom line is overpopulation is is not true not in the way it's being painted here so the the movie itself set up all of these real world problems and they asked these geniuses in order to find the solutions to them by morning or else he'll set off a bomb and kill 500,000 people sounds like he's really concerned for mankind cuz that's what he wanted to do was kill mankind but anyway it's the premise of the movie so what was the defense? What were the arguments that they made in order to solve the world problems? Amongst these geniuses, there was one man who was a seminarian, 
Okay, he was an evangelical seminarian. He was a, a former attorney who was an atheist and had a conversion experience and left uh, his, his practice of law, went into seminary, and he wrote a very famous book. And, and so he was chosen to be amongst these geniuses in order to you know, find the answers to the solutions to world, the world's problems. And so he was silent for the most part. And then towards the end, he started to speak up in defense of God. Because from his perspective and from the answering perspective that they, the group was coming up with, it was a, a personal relationship with God that mattered. It was an awareness of your own personal sin and your ability to forgive others. It was a scientific po- uh, point of view, an, an intelligent design on how randomness is not put, you know, even mathematically possible. You know, the, the randomness of life itself on earth and in the cosmos. It was that your suffering could lead you closer to God, which is true, but they never answered why. They never dived deeper on that subject. I mean, when the question was asked, what is the meaning of life? One person, one character said, love. He said, I love my wife. I love my kids. What else is there? And then they left it at that. They never dived deeper at all on that subject. So my question is, why? How? How is love the meaning of life? They said that there was no meaning outside of God. True, but how and why? To my satisfaction, they never answered the question. Again, this was a setup. It was a perfect setup for a, a, you know a, an opportunity to give a defense, to give an answer to all of these questions that so many agnostics and so many atheists will ask. I see it on the Twitter sphere and Facebook all the time. If there is a God, how could he allow suffering? How could he allow war? How could there be a Satan? How could there be a, a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao? I mean, did you know that uh, Mao allowed millions of his own people to be slaughtered at his hand? And Stalin the same way. Hitler. I mean, pe- many people think Hitler was a, a devout Christian. In fact, he was not. A pagan, rather. And yet he killed millions. Not as, not as many as Stalin and Mao did. But still, there, are, there is this evil in the world. There is anger in the world. There is suffering in the world. And if there is a God, then how could he allow for it? With all of this suffering, what is the meaning of life? If I could have made this movie, there would be something that I would do have done differently. I would have dived so much deeper on love and suffering. Because in that study, we shall find the answer to the meaning of life. Let me give you a for example. Back in early December, my five-year-old daughter, Mary Elizabeth, was sick, sick for a few days. We finally had to take her to the emergency room because she wasn't getting any better. And uh, I'll have to cut the story short here. Long story short, she needed an appendix taken out, right? Her appendix. And as we moved into the hospital and we waited for the time to come and we were in the operating room, the surgeon came in and explained the procedure in front of my five-year-old daughter. Now, at the time, they kept pressing on her, her lower abdomen to see if she was in discomfort, and she wasn't. The reality was she wasn't. For whatever reason, unlike the many, many, many other cases, when you press on the lower abdomen, the, the patient is in extreme discomfort, and they often have to be on painkillers before the surgery, but not so for my daughter. 
They did the scans. They did the test. They decided she needed it to be removed. It was it was uh, swollen beyond normal uh, size, but yet she didn't have the same kind of pain and discomfort. And so the surgeon said in front of her, if there is no pain, certainly you're welcome to leave. You don't have to stay for the surgery. He goes, but if you stay, you have to understand that I'm going to remove her appendix no matter what. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's going to come out. My daughter begged us. She begged us to take her home. Mommy, it does not hurt. The doctor said I could go home. He said if it didn't hurt, I can go home. Please take me home. Please, Mommy, don't make me do this. And yet my wife and I held her down as she screamed and begged us to let her go, as they sedated her. And we watched her being carried off, screaming and crying into the operating room. Oh, the doctor said it's a, it's a normal thing. We do, we do five or six of these every day here. Must be, you know, in the water, the whole appendicitis thing here in Houston, Texas. It broke our hearts. I don't care how routine the procedure was. It broke our hearts to see our daughter being taken off, held down, sedated, screaming and crying in anguish. How much more our blessed mother at the foot of the cross? We knew that it was better for our daughter to undergo that pain, that through that suffering, she would find healing. And she did. The doctor came out after the surgery and said, it's a good thing we went through with it because it did need to be removed. Once I looked at it, he said, I knew right away it needed to be removed, that it would burst at any moment. We caught it in the perfect time. That was relief to parents for sure. But you see, there was value in the suffering we made our daughter endure. Do you get that? What kind of a father will send their beloved child to be held, strapped down, and forced to endure so much pain? A heavenly father. What kind of a child would willingly undergo so much torment? A heavenly son. We lack understanding of power. We lack the understanding of suffering and the power we achieve through that suffering. We look at everything from the perspective of of human eyes, which see suffering so negatively, instead of seeing them through Christ, His eyes on the cross, having been lifted up to draw all men to Himself, that whoever just looks upon Him can receive this gift of grace and life because he took on the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God. What was Adam expected to do in Genesis 3 when Satan intruded in the garden? He was expected to stand in the gap, to lay down his life, to suffer even death for his bride and to remain in the grace in which he was created. But he didn't. What Adam failed to do Isaac, the son of Abraham, was ready to do. There, on the mountain, being strapped to the wood, ready for the sacrifice, his father with a knife in the hand. Isaac accepted that role as the sacrifice. But an angel would stay the hand of his father, and God would end up providing himself the Lamb of God for the sacrifice. 
Why did God lead his firstborn son, Israel, out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the wilderness? To suffer? To die? To starve to death? No. But the people grumbled and they complained constantly, thinking that that was exactly what was going to happen. That God and Moses led them out here to suffer, to die, to starve to death, to die at the hands of these huge Canaanites that they refused to go in and possess the land from. Right? So, why is he doing it? To purge them, to purify them, to prepare them to cross through the waters and enter into the promised land, the kingdom in which they were promised, the land of milk and honey. So why did God send Jonah to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, to convert them, to call them to repentance? Because he knew that he was going to use these Assyrians to bring about some penance upon his firstborn son, Israel. That he would bring down the Assyrians and they would take the the Israelites and carry them off into foreign lands. And he would repopulate the area with the Samaritans. Only a scant few would remain who were still from the people of Israel. If the people of God would not go out into the world to bring about the other sons of God back to God, then he would send them out by force. Through suffering and penance, he would bring about the salvation of the world. Why did he send his son, Judah, into exile, into Babylon, to destroy the house of God, the dwelling place of the name of God? Why would he do this? Because he desired to convert their hearts once more by sending them into the wilderness, preparing them that through the remnant that would return would come the Messiah, would come the new covenant whose blood would be shed for the life of the world. He would bring about a brand new exodus through this pain and through this suffering. Why did God send his only begotten to suffer, to die, and be barred, to be be buried among the thieves and sinners? Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What Adam failed to do, and Isaac was willing to do, Jesus brings to its utmost perfection. He stands in the gap between Satan and his bride, the church. He takes on all the sins of the world. He allows himself to become the perfect sacrifice, offering himself up as both priest and victim. He is lifted up like that bronze serpent in the wilderness by Moses after the people were bitten by the snakes. Jesus is lifted up between heaven and earth so that all those who look upon him will find the true antidote, the true remedy to the snake bite in the wilderness. The true bread come down from heaven, the flesh for the life of the world that the prophet Moses Even he said there would be one greater than him that would come from among the people, one who was greater than he. Through Jesus' suffering, we can find the answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? It is love. God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34, quote, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John chapter 15, verse 12 and following, quote, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do as I command. You've heard it, that if you will be my disciples, that you will pick up your cross and you will follow me every day. You've heard that. You know that. Love entails sacrifice. It requires it. God is love and God requires sacrifice. He requires you to offer up your sacrifices, your sufferings, your pain, your anguish, your turmoil, your anger, your hate, your sin. Offer it all up to Christ on the cross. Colossians 1.24, St. Paul says, quote, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Christ, the new Joshua, prepares us to cross from the wilderness through the waters of baptism into the promised land, the kingdom of God, which is heaven and the beatific vision. But nothing unclean will enter it. Revelation chapter 21. So we must be purified through fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, like our Lord, who willingly chose to be obedient to his Father and drank the fourth cup, so must we be willing to accept the purifying desert of this life so that we can look forward to an eternity with him in the next. We must persevere through suffering and love. God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. 